Thank you for tuning in. To be truly effective today as a leader, we need to both think and act differently. Today's episode shines a light on just what that means and also provides a blueprint for how to achieve better results and really highlights the benefit of the dialogue format we have here on the podcast. We have an extremely insightful and informative discussion with Young Kaprowski, principal and founder of Y2K Engineering. Young is a successful modern leader and role model, operating with poise and wisdom well beyond her years. She has a deep personal drive and passion that both attracts and engages. If you're a leader who wants to build something sustainable and long-term like so many, you're going to want to listen carefully and begin to implement the actual strategies Young shares. Also, Young is just getting started. Take a look at the show notes for ways to connect with Young, find out more about Y2K, and check out the behind-the-scenes video and information we reference. Whether you're an established leader, young professional, or even a student, there's so much to take in, so without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Young Kaprowski, principal and founder of Y2K Engineering, and we'll be talking about entrepreneurism and what it takes to successfully start, lead, and grow your own firm. Welcome to the podcast, Young. Thank you, Pete. Well, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about you and what brought you to where you are today as principal and founder of Y2K? Sure. Um, I'm a professional engineer. I focus on transportation engineering in Arizona. I have about 12 years of experience in civil engineering and decided to start Y2K Engineering uh, just under three years ago. I have two children and a husband, and so trying to balance um, life and work is always a challenge, but I really enjoy that. Um, starting Y2K Engineering um, has been very fulfilling and has, you know, made me a lot happier in my life having the control over the work I do and to be able to care and be passionate about transportation engineering. Well, um, I mean, I, I, I've, we've spoken in the past and I've seen all that you've accomplished in just a few years out on your own. And so, I mean, you're smart, motivated, connected and entrepreneurial and really um, a dream of AEC firms today, you know, to be an employee. I mean, you mentioned control and being able to care about, um, to be able to care and have passion about your work. I mean, it, it, are there any other reasons you were thinking of as far as starting your own firm? I mean, so you're a great employee, and but you made that decision. I'm going to go out on my own. I mean, what, what else went into that? Sure. Well, around uh, the end of 2016 was when I started thinking about a career change. 
And a lot of that stemmed on being recruited by larger engineering firms to join their firms and, and, and start groups there. So that kind of indicated to me that I um, was an asset in the industry. Additionally, just the political climate um, and also that's just the, my personal life in general. My, my father-in-law was ill and needed to be taken care of and we needed to spend more time with, with him and my mother-in-law. And then also I had two young children and was spending a lot of time commuting to work and wanted more flexibility in life. So thinking about all those options led me to consider a career change. And it was actually talking with industry uh, leaders that they're the ones that suggested that I start my own company. And once they planted that seed in my head, I started thinking, well, why not? Um, if I don't do it, who will? And so that is a big reason why I was able to um, start Y2K Engineering along with the support of my husband and family. And then knowing that even if it didn't work out, I would still be able to come back into the industry and find a position somewhere else. So, I mean, that still takes courage, you know, to be able to take that step. I mean, and in, in probably encouraging that people were sort of giving you, you know, indications that we think you could do it or that would be a good idea. But so what were your first steps? I mean, did you have a network you could lean on or did you just start knocking on doors? I mean, what did that seem like the first day you opened the doors um, <laughs> and started telling people, hey, I'm on my own now? Right. It was really interesting to transition. I had been with my former firm for seven years and did really enjoy my time there. I got a lot of great work experience. But throughout my career, after graduating from university, I was heavily involved in professional organizations. And my involvement in those organizations really helped me uh, create that network and just have that awareness that I was in the industry. So that helped out a lot because people saw me um, up leading conferences as a conference chair. Um, I was on the board of a couple of different professional or organizations all the way through being the president and past president. So I think that just gave me good exposure and networking in Arizona. And that made it a lot easier when I started out to already have that recognition behind my name and my work. And then now to just transition it into a new company. When I started telling people about the new company, it was amazing um, the encouragement that and support that everyone gave me. And so just started, you know, getting added to different contracts, um, writing proposals, just winning a few really key proposals um, just helped launch the company. Right. And you, but you had known folks for a while. So you, you got, you got involved with industry events. And so when you say president and past president, I mean, how, I mean, that seems, I mean, a lot of younger folks might delay getting involved with professional organizations or might not step into larger roles. I mean, so what, what did that look like as a, as a younger engineer saying, not only will I get involved with organizations, but you know what? <laughs> I'm going to step up and do this, this, and this, and be really well-known and well-respected in the industry? I think one of my goals was to 
be out in the industry to give back in professional or organizations because I am a previous scholarship recipient. And so in those org organizations, I was asked to come be a member, give back other organizations. I think people just knew that I would not say no. And so they would ask me to be a membership chair to run for um, the board. And I just did it. Even though I was really young, I was certainly capable. And at that time, I didn't have a family. So I had the, I had the time to do that and was able to participate in numerous organizations at, at the same time. It did take a lot of support from my employers. And so I do appreciate that. It was also in the great recession. So I think that was a critical component of my career was graduating right in the beginning of that and then having to really be hungry for work and really learn how to market and get my own work if I wanted to keep my job. Right. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's interesting. So that you, even as a young person, young professional, not only are you involved with organizations and being tagged with leadership roles, which I, you know, you know, it's, it's one thing to be there. It's another thing for someone to say, oh, and I think you can lead this, which is great. <laughs> but then also being a young professional and realizing that connection between the work you do and winning the work and servicing clients. Can you share a little bit more about that? Sure. One of my first jobs was at a company um, called Morrison Merrily, and they were hit pretty early by the recession because they were heavy into private development. But one thing about that company being more of a small to medium-sized company is that they provided a lot of professional development, a lot of development in terms of teaching me, even as a brand new engineer, EIT, marketing and um, how to work with clients, how to write proposals, because they needed that support at that time. And I was able to have that opportunity to learn and then just stepped up to the plate in order to do that. Um, and then as I continued to grow, one thing that I really liked about professional organizations and being in a leadership position is that it took all of the titles away from everybody. So I felt like I was on the same playing field, even if the other person being across was the city engineer at a, at a different um, you know, city or town. When we were part of the org organization, we were all working for a common cause and there was no, um, or there was not as many levels of leadership or positions in a firm. It, it wasn't like a client and a consultant. It was just, we're, we're all volunteers working together. Right. I mean, and certainly that's another benefit of getting involved with industry organizations. I mean, from both sides, more experienced, you know, um, engineers and leaders get to work with, you know, newer engineers, um, managers in that sense, and, and vice versa. So I think there's a benefit all around. But I mean, I'm still intrigued by, you know, given these opportunities, I mean, you stepped up and you, you in leadership roles. I mean, I, and I know, you know, when we've spoken in the past or when I was doing research for being able to talk with you, I mean, you had had a role early on in Habitat for Humanity and building up your leadership skills and confidence. I mean, could you share a little bit about that? Because it seems like, again, it's, it's like a great story, you know, hey, I got involved with organizations and I stepped up and I led this, but there's a, so much more that goes into just having that courage and the confidence to step up. I mean, how did your role, roles in the past lead up to that? 
There is, there is a lot, I think, of underlying experiences that made me who I am today and throughout my career. And one of them was Habitat for Humanity. Volunteering with Habitat in college was an excellent experience. And being able to go through a program to become a team leader with Habitat and then a house leader meant that every weekend I was leading 25 new people and they could be from anywhere with any level of skills. And they're looking at me who's 19 years old and I'm, um, you know, teaching them what we are supposed to do that day, how to build a house. And I'm not sure why I was just comfortable in that role. I mean, everyone looked the same. I didn't have any issue talking to older people or younger people. But those years of experience with Habitat, I think, really helped me providing instruction because, again, there wasn't a lot on the line. I was volunteering my, my time. I couldn't mess up and have any, you know, negative because they would just fix it at Habitat. If, you know, someone nails something in wrong, you just rip it out and do it again. It, it wasn't, there's no pressure, I guess. And that really helped me grow and realize that we're all just humans, we're all just people, and it's good to communicate, and it takes leaders, it takes doers, and there's different times in life where you have to be in the role that you're needed. Um, another key aspect in my life particularly is when I was at ASU um, in my last semester in school, my father passed away, um, and it was unexpected. And so that really, I think, also gave me a lot of drive um, to do everything that I could to succeed in my career in life, because that's what my dad and I had always, you know, planned out and, and really wanted to do. So, wow. I mean, so you, you take this, so you, where you are, you start the company and then you, you send your feelers out and you start getting some of your early clients. I mean, what, what did the early clients look like and how are they different or the same to the types of clients you work with today? In the company, um, I was a bit surprised that I did a whole business plan and I listed out all the clients that I thought I would have. And these were people that I knew the best that I'd worked with before. And now starting the company, I thought that I'd work with the same people. But it was really amazing that people kind of came out of the woodwork and they're like, oh, I heard that you started this company. That's amazing. I really appreciate what you're trying to do, um, that, that you're a small business. Let's pursue this project. Let me add you to this team. So it's kind of interesting that the first couple of years, our client base was completely different from my initial thoughts, just based on the opportunities, the timing, and um, the people that kind of came out to support Y2K Engineering and myself. So what, and what type of work are you doing today? I mean, what you mentioned, you know, caring and passionate about, you know, the engineering field that you're working in. I mean, what, what, is it, what are the type of projects that you're working on? We work primarily with um, public agencies. We have a lot of on-call contracts for traffic engineering and transportation planning, primarily with uh, regional metropolitan planning organization doing active transportation projects to incorporate bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure into our communities. 
as well as working with, for example, the city of Peoria under their traffic engineering on call, doing citywide safety analysis, creating customized tools for them to use um, in their analysis, and, and also developing projects to improve safety on the roadways. We also do a lot of traffic signal design, roadway um, signing and striping, and continue to do um, planning for various transportation projects that are multimodal. Right, and you've spoken in the past about, you know, transportation innovation. I mean, some of the things that you're doing and also, you know, having, working with, you know, um, context sensitive solutions and really designing them into the community. Can you share a little bit about some of the innovation and, and some of the sort of the, the, the solutions that you're designing for communities? Sure, I think that in terms of transportation and innovation, this is an era where with the invention of the smartphone and different technology and apps that have been developed such as like ride sharing apps, just has transformed how people travel today. We also have connected and, auto and autonomous vehicles that are really going to, or that are currently, you know, in the works, uh, in deployment, and they're going to continue to disrupt the transportation industry. Additionally, we also have on the other side of that, we have e-scooters, we have um, bike share, and just a myriad of transportation options right now that we can choose from. And as traffic engineers and transportation professionals, we have to consider why are people choosing these modes? How do we accommodate them in the public space, which is really the critical component is within the current right of way? And how can we do it safely and efficiently uh, to, to accommodate transit, vehicles, bicycles, pedestrians, people riding skateboards and scooters. And so I think that is really critical in the next 10, 20 years, how that all meshes together. Because not only do we have the autonomous and connected vehicles coming on board, which is going to make it easier to travel by vehicle, then we have all these other options in micromobility that's also helping people, you know, travel but they sometimes or they often conflict when they travel. So they think that's going to be a big challenge. But those are the innovations that are really um, transforming transportation right now. Right. And I remember seeing a video of you in a control center for a client, very mm -hmm. high tech, like the overseeing all the transportation controls for the city, which seemed like it was massive big data looking at the situation as it is um, to improve it. But then there's also the aspect of how do we make it even better by design. I mean, can you share about that? You know, what got you into that video and some of the high, you know, I guess for folks who are not day to day in the transportation industry or not in the innovation side of the transportation engineering industry. I mean, can you share with me, what was that room you were in the control center? And what were some <laughs> sure. of the things that are going on? Yeah. I mean, actually a lot of communities have traffic management centers um, because all of our cities own and operate their infrastructure. And so they own and operate the traffic signals um, and any other transportation infrastructure that exists in the city and, and on our roadways. And so in order to manage and maintain that, a lot of uh, larger municipalities will have a central location where they have communications connected to those intersections 
usually by fiber or other methods, but then they can get video from their um, intersections and be able to control the signal timing at those signals. And that um, allows them to manage traffic. If there's congestion or, or a crash, they can update their traffic signal timing without having to send police officers out there. Also for special events, they'll do it from a traffic management center a lot of times these days. And it's something that we don't see as regular citizens, that behind the scenes, there are a lot of people that keep our roadways operating and safe. Um, and so why I was in that video, um, it was NBC Learn, Discovering You, and I was featured for transportation engineering. We went to the City of Mesa Transportation Management Center and was able to shoot some video about a technology that they had installed on their streets to monitor travel time on the roadways. And that allows for public information to be disseminated um, onto maps or other methods so that apps like Google Maps can um, actually capture that data and put it into their systems. So a lot of cities have a lot of data, but they're not the ones that are always disseminating it. Like these third parties are combining all that big data into apps to really help the public recognize, you know, what their travel time is, where there's a crash, where they need to reroute. Um, so it really is an integrated system. So what is it about, you know, the, the projects that you're working on? I mean, what what drives you as a leader of your firm and, and the types of projects that you want to get involved with or are passionate about? I mean, how do you see um, the type of work that you're doing, you know, a year from now or, or two years from now based on industry trends or really what you're passionate about as far as, you know, serving mm -hmm. the communities? Well, I think one thing about civil engineering and transportation engineering is it is pretty much the same over long periods of time because the common goal is to just help people and society. And I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about helping society. I want to make sure that people that need to get their kids to school can get them there safely. They can get to work so that they can have jobs and be a part of, you know, all of society. And one thing about transportation is that we're affecting a lot of different people. Um, if like every day, everywhere, and it's kind of amazing to really think about, you know, a project that simply is a connection between two communities or um, is really creating a benefit to a certain city or town. Um, it's affecting all of those people that live there or that even travel through. And for me, I'm very passionate about safety, about active transportation, making sure people can also walk and bike for health benefits as well um, because you know our kids these days aren't running around everywhere and so it, if they can walk to school bike to school that really helps them um, promote a active lifestyle um, as they grow so in, in in your organization i mean you've built the organization i mean it's beyond just you i mean how, how what does your organization look like in terms of number of employees and how did you start adding employees i mean what was your <laughs> what was your process or what were the series of steps well from the beginning i knew that i was going to hire employees because you know because one of the reasons for starting the company was to not have to work 60 70 hours a week and to make sure that I maintained a reasonable balance between work and home, um, I knew that I'd have to hire employees to help me. 
I didn't know when or how, but I knew that I would. And right now we have 10 people. We're probably going to be hiring, you know, three to four in the next year, depending on um, our, our, our workload. But how I, how I actually hired the first employee is a really funny story. I am a planner and I want everything to be perfect. I wanted a perfect um, like format for how to recruit and advertise for an employee. And I, it was just taking too much time. My husband actually just went on indeed.com and wrote part-time traffic engineer wanted. And he posted it without telling me. And I was so mad at him for doing that without the perfect you know, job description to go along with it. But I had to accept that and went through all the applications. There were actually quite a few that came in and was able to find a, a couple of people that I ended up interviewing. And then one person, um, Kelly Fletcher, who still works for me, um, employee number 002. Um, and, and she's been a great asset to the team. Right. And then you've just continued to grow from then on. I mean, do you have work and then have a need and then we're going to hire or have you hired saying, I know we're going to get the work, so I'm going to find employees. I mean, how do you navigate the, the, the work talent divide? (laughs) It's certainly tricky because ideally you would have the work before you had to hire the people, but it's also, um, I think you have to hire the right people, especially the way that our culture is at Y2K Engineering and the flexibility that, that we provide everyone. It, it, it takes a certain person to be able to operate in our, in our culture and in our business. And so a lot of it was just by good fortune. Um, I, I think, so employee number three was um, our accounting clerk because I knew that I didn't want to have to deal with all of the accounting issues. So taking that off my plate and then um, it, the next employees were just really key hires that I just knew were going to be um, an asset to the company and the opportunity was there. And I knew that we would get work as well from having those individuals. So it really depends, but I think that, um, I would, I, I, I have mostly hired people before getting the work and then get the work in. Um, and then in some cases, we have had some part-time um, assistance for different projects, but then that's actually turned into full-time now that we get to know each other and we know that it, we really um, work together well, employee and company. And so we actually have one person coming on full-time in, in a couple weeks that was part-time. So that's so your your entrepreneurial leadership mindset won out over your planning mindset at, at <laughs> least at least a few times. Yes, definitely have like have to have some some risk um, and understand that that that's just part of part of having a business and and being able to get work is to be able to have qualified staff and so be you know, understanding how to work with our clients and what they need is also a big component of uh, growing in the company. 
Right. And I want to just say, I mean, that is not an easy task. I mean, so what you're doing is really tremendous. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to be understated too much. I mean, that, that's very significant. I mean, even if someone's in an organization trying to grow their team, I mean, what you've been able to accomplish in three years, I mean, there's not a lot of teams and organizations that can say, well, I went from zero to 10 in three years and, you know, <laughs> did all that and developed the team. And you mentioned something, you know, like, finding for the culture and the flexibility in the firm and how's it different? How is your firm different? I mean, what, what, what do you mean as far as your culture and flexibility? And um, so could you dive a little deeper into that? Sure. I think at, you know, at Y2K Engineering, when I started the company, one thing that I wanted to leverage were uh, you know, modern computing systems. And so we're a hundred percent cloud-based for our uh, project sites and by, by having that flexibility, um, we're able to tap into different of people. For example, my first employee is part-time permanently, and that's how she wants it because she wants a balance with her family and, and to be there for her family. Um, and so she only works part-time, but she's very efficient at what she does. Uh, she is a great employee, a great engineer, and I'm, I'm really glad to be able to provide her with an environment that makes that work. I have other people that work from home um, all, most of the time, and it takes good communication to do that. It takes work ethic, and it also takes a lot of engagement between me and the other employees with those individuals that aren't in the office every day. And we do that using Microsoft Teams, we have team building events, we have competitions. So this month we are doing an October Best Challenge, uh, which is a health and fitness challenge. In, in April we do um, a Bike Month Challenge because it's Bike Month in, in, in Arizona. And it just you know brings people together because we are at work more than we are awake at home. And I wanted to make sure that we created a culture and environment that was conducive to having people enjoy what they're doing, be productive, do good work, but also for their quality of life in the long term. And do you think that's why your employees, again, high quality employees, do you think that's why they're choosing you, your firm? I think so. I mean, I think that that's a big part of it. I think that also recognize that I have a vision for what I want to do, that I really do care about the work that we do. And I am very humbled by the fact that they trust me to lead them and that they do such great work and, you know, want the same things that, that I want in terms of um, making sure that we're doing the best work that we can for our clients, but also for the end user, which are the people that use our roadways every day. Right. Well, I mean, you're definitely the, an example of, well, first of all, humble leadership wins. I mean, especially capable, humble leadership. So, I mean, definitely an example of that, but also an example of a leader who just thinks differently and does differently today. And obviously that's attractive. I mean, what do you think, kind of thinking of leaders maybe in larger organizations or more established organizations, I mean, what do you think stops them from thinking and doing differently to attract this whole market of highly qualified engineers who are willing to serve the industry that might not want 
to show up from seven to six um, right. and, and do a job and build the best 40 hours and all that, you know, the things that are just part of the industry right now until we continue to evolve it. I mean, yeah. what, what do you think is holding other leaders back from sort of doing what you're doing? Well, I think trust is a component of being able to do what I'm doing now. I have to trust everyone that I hire to, to tell me, you know, what they need, um, how they're doing. And I, and I have to be transparent with them and provide them information because that's, you know, what they want. We all in this information age, we can, we have so much information at at the tips of our fingers, people want information about their companies that they work for as well. They don't want to be hearing information about their companies from a friend or an outsider. They want to hear it from the leaders within the company first. Um, they should be the first people to know that information. So we, we share a lot of information. Every week we send out a message with uh, called Friday News and we put down, you know, new hires, what people are doing with their families, um, what we're doing at work, any key uh, projects that we're working on. Um, and I think that people appreciate being in the know about what's happening. And as a small company right now, we're definitely able to um, have that, that relationship and be able to share information. And I think with, with bigger companies, it's simply harder because there's a lot of people and people are different. And I think to, to, to retain talent, you just need to recognize that people have talent. I think that there are a lot of people out there that have more potential than they know. And, and, and it's going to take outside leaders to recognize that and to encourage that from their employees. And certainly, as you mentioned, I mean, people seeing things in you. I mean, sometimes we don't recognize, you know, what's in us as much as other people from the outside. So, I mean, is it a little bit pay it forward? Like people recognize things in me and I'm going to recognize things in them. Do you think that you see that play out? Certainly. I think also there's that emotional intelligence aspect of it, knowing um, my weaknesses, my strengths, seeing weaknesses and strengths in other people and putting together teams where they're complementary. I think, um, has really been successful. Everyone's different. And so if we can all work together and making sure that there is balance amongst teams, I think we are able to produce a, a lot more work and accomplish really great things. As, as a leader, I mean, how do you keep yourself fresh and like, you know, the Stephen Covey, sharpen your saw? I mean, how do you, because I'm sure if you left it in, you know, to its own, um, devices, I mean, the organization would have so much demand and it would be consuming. I mean, how do you stay on top of things and be able to sort of lead yourself so that you could lead your firm? Well, I think staying very organized is a really key trait that helps me um, accomplish a lot. I'm also not afraid to ask for help. That's something that I've learned along the way and to have really great people that can, um, help take on things um, that either I don't need to be doing to free up my time or that that can do things a lot better that that um, that's their job to do. So like hiring out legal insurance, um, accounting, making sure that all those things are handled at a very high level 
um, I think is very important because that frees me up to really focus on my projects, my clients, and the big picture. Right. And, and, and you're and just kind of back on your culture. I mean, it seems like, you know, there is that sort of divide of, you know, work-life balance and work is work and life is life. But it seems like you've really embraced in your own career, in your own life, and in your employees, the work-life integration, that it's, it's just, it's all related. So let's just embrace it, share about it, and then we can win at work and win at life. Is that, is that true? You just consciously embrace work-life integration? That is very true. Um, I think that in t- with today's world and with technology at our fingertips, it for me, I'm not a person that can leave work at work and just instantly, you know, change myself for when I'm at home. And so I have to devote, you know, certain days where they're family days or um, a lot of times I am, you know, working after my kids go to sleep. Um, but then I'll leave work early so I can be there when they're awake. And I really want, you know, both for myself and my family, but other people's family, making sure they have the opportunity to coach their kids games. If they don't have kids to just enjoy life, take a three day weekend and go travel somewhere. And then they, you know, choose to work longer hours or maybe not even longer hours. They're just productive and they get their work done within those four days. They're free to, you know, do what they want for the rest of their time. It's, it's more about um, making sure that we manage our time wisely and use it efficiently. But if we just keep working and working and working, then our whole life is going to pass us by. And I want to make sure that for myself and for my employees, they get that chance to um, experience it and just, you know, have good well-being and be healthy while they're doing it as well. Right. And so many leaders want to have that environment and have that team and employees want to work for a leader with those skills. But I mean, I think it just doesn't happen. It is what you mentioned. It, it's trust and being organized and understanding the outcomes to be able to sort of share those outcomes and have people understand them. So, you know, the, you know, when you're done and you can have that right. flexibility built in, but it's, it's truly an outcome, but a lot of work goes in, in the design of the culture and yes. the following through of the culture. And it's a lot of work, not only for me and the company, but it's a lot of work on the employees part. They have to have very good time management skills. They have to prove that they are going to get their work done in a deadline um, and to have that freedom and, and flexibility. And so it does take the right person to really understand that in order to get that freedom and, and flexibility, they're asked to give back in a way that they're performing for the company as well. And I think another, you know, key component is to make sure that, that, that they understand that, that, that that's what I want from them and that, and in return, they enjoy the benefits of our company culture. Right. And then do you, is that part of your sort of pipeline, your, 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 your talent intake interview pipeline that you really assess those skills or, do you also um, do training for some of those key skills? Or do you think, listen, if we get the right people in here with the right mindset, you know, they'll, we'll do some on the job training. We'll, we'll do whatever to be able to get those outcomes. I mean, how does your seeking talent pipeline 
yeah. you know, basically dovetail into the culture that you want. Right. And so for us, what we've, what has been successful for us is initially hiring more experienced people that required less training, actually. Um, and then kind of building the foundation of multiple people that actually can do um, a variety of things. So let's say that if I want to take a vacation, there's three more people that can do traffic engineering on a project. Um, and so we have that, I think redundancy is important and, and, and we share that and we understand that if someone's on vacation, we let them go on vacation and then the, and then, and the rest of us pick up the slack and we do that for each other. And I think that really helps. And then, for juniors, um, engineers that, that we've hired, I have usually gone and spoken to university classes. Um, I've reviewed scholarship applications and been a judge for that. Those are great ways to really um, find great people because then you get to meet them, you get to get a feel for who they are. You can talk more informally about their interests, their um, management skills and I think you can get a feel of 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 how they would be in in the workplace based on past experience at work or even just in their life I've also noticed that people that um, appear to have you know strong financial background um, I guess what's it called just a strong um, strong control of their finances um, seem to be people that you know, if something comes up like a minor emergency, they they can handle it. They don't have a lot of outside stress from small problems, and that helps at work as well. Right. I mean, that, that, I mean, you've just sort of casually talked about a very high end intake system and assessment system. I mean, that is next level thinking of a lot of organizations. Like how will we go into universities and select that talent and what level of senior talent do we need in order to have all those, you know, different systems in place so that we can, you know, be able to take a vacation and get things done. So, I mean, you just casually breeze through some very high end organizational development strategies. And so, I mean, definitely hats off to you. I mean, that, that is, that is very impressive. And I, I want to like switch gears. Cause I know, um, you, um, want to be a role model and are a role model in a lot of ways. Can you share a little bit of, I don't know, you're, you know, a woman owned business and you, you run on your own, um, with support, but designing it in such a way, I mean, what, what, what does it mean to you to be a role model? And can you share a little bit about that passion and desire? Sure. Um, I know that I'm different in terms, like when you look at civil engineering or, or, or the construction industry, I know that I'm a minority in terms of there's not a lot of females in, in leadership roles. There's not a lot of minorities um, in the industry in general. And it, that never stopped me though. That was never something that held me back because I had great parents that kind of told me, you know, the sky's the limit and um, was able to always take those opportunities that existed. However, now that I'm in this role, 
when I started the company, I did look around and I'm like, well, who else is doing this? Who is my role model for this? And there are other role models that I have and they're really strong leaders in other or organizations, um, in, de in departments of transportation and FHWA, in different larger consulting firms. There's a lot of women in leadership positions, but there actually aren't a lot that are CEOs or leading firms. And I guess I just wanted to, to just be able to be an example that others can look up to that hopefully when there are, you know, students at elementary school, junior high, high school, and they're thinking about a career that they really think seriously about engineering because it's a great career for anybody. And I think that it can be discouraging to look around and not see anyone like yourself. And I want to be that person that looks different, that can convince, you know, other people to get into the industry. And what are, what are some of the things you're doing today to help advance? I mean, the, 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 under the topic, you know, uh, the theme of equity, diversity, and inclusion, I mean, what are some of the things that you're doing personally and what the firm does? Yeah. Um, so one of my goals with Y2K Engineering is to ensure that at least 50% of our employees are minorities or women and making sure that anyone that might not fit into that particular box, that they also recognize the, the importance of equity and inclusion and diversity. Um, and I'm really glad that, that the people that, that we have working here really believe that and they understand that that's part of the mission. It's not something that we just go around and tout and, and, and tell everybody, but it's something that, that we show through our actions. Um, by making sure that we are including people of various backgrounds in our, in, in our company. And then um, personally, I uh, volunteer for various organizations and events that promote STEM um, in elementary schools. There's WTS has a transportation U program. So I'll speak at those programs to high school students. Um, I just got a call today to be a judge and a guest speaker at a um, outreach event to underprivileged youth. And I really enjoy those outreach events quite a bit. Um, a few months ago, I was able to speak at my alma mater at ASU to all the engineering freshmen and tell them more about transportation engineering and hopefully, you know, spark an interest in them as well. And it was really great to see that there are more, um, there is more, more diversity coming up in, um, in the population and, 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 and hopefully that'll get recognized and promoted um, across the industry as well over time. Right. I mean, and you've, you've built the virtuous circle. I mean, that, you know, based on your principles and passions, I mean, for you to be able to continue to go out, I mean, you've built the organization to support that, but not only that, but the organization is encouraged by that. I mean, so it really is just a well-designed system that you've, you've built to continue to do the things that you're passionate about um, and want to invest in, but at the same time have a successful organization that serves the industry in very innovative ways. 
um, if there are folks out there, I mean, whether it be five, 10, 20, 25, 30 years experience who are thinking about going out on their own, I mean, what advice would you give them other than like, you've just had a playbook. I mean, if people should listen to this multiple times because I mean, there is a, there is a defined playbook, but what advice would you give people um, based on your experience? Um, I would say to just make sure that they're educated and there is so many resources out there these days um, and to be confident and know your strengths and weaknesses because that's really something that will will help if someone goes out on their own to know what they are great at and what they might need to hire someone else to do to help them with. Um, but overall, it's been an amazing experience. I think that now being a small business owner, I, I recognize that there's a whole tribe of small business owners that are willing to help and collaborate. And it's definitely um, an area that I'm glad to be a part of and would encourage anyone to try it. And just to make sure that they're, that, that they're taking a calculated risk. For me, I had, you know, savings and I had backup plans and, I, and, and it was just a risk that I was willing to take. And that's something that I think all entrepreneurs um, do. Right. And I've experienced something similar over the last few years, you know, venturing out on my own from being, you know, a principal in, in a larger organization to out doing my own management consulting and working with firms. But just that working, the, the community is so strong and supportive and, and all of those elements. I mean, it, it, it truly is. It, it's really neat being part of that entrepreneurial community. But thinking of the other side and wearing my hat as, okay, I'm one of the major owners. I'm a principal in an org established organization and I wanna be innovative, I wanna be relevant, I wanna be effective. I wanna be able to attract and retain and grow someone like yourself or someone with the entrepreneurial spirit because we want entrepreneurialism. We want mm -hmm. all of that because it works and that's what clients want. I mean, what advice for leaders on the other side, like what would it take to retain you and grow you and, and people like you? I mean, any advice? I mean, what, what might be holding leaders back or what do they need to do differently from an organizational perspective? Well, I think they need to show that if they want to make the change and to be innovative and to have that cultural change, they need to do it themselves and they need to set the example. If I want my employees to take all their vacation time, I have to take vacation time too. And I have to show them what it takes in order to find that balance. There are a few weeks a year I am working 60, 70 hours a week, but the rest of the time I try not to. And I think that leaders really have to emulate and show in their actions what they would want in their employees. And we're all at different stages in life. And so it's good to relate past experiences or to put yourself in another person's shoes to say, okay, they're at this point in their life. Maybe they have a new baby. Maybe they just got a new puppy. I mean, it could be a lot of different things to help them celebrate all of that and to recognize that, you know, people change throughout their careers and their lives and to try to create an environment that allows that change and to make sure that, that those people know what might be expected of them from the company and what the company can give in return. I mean, great, great advice. I mean, organizations are investing heavily in developing leaders. I mean, because it's a very busy and consuming world. And, and as a leader who lost high levels of emotional intelligence that I once had and then had to recover it and, you know, figure that out. I mean, that is just great advice from somebody who is in the mix right now, growing a thriving business. So um, 
it doesn't mean, you know, you, you have this high level of knowledge and, and emotional intelligence and being able to connect the dots only when you're not growing because you're obviously an example of you can do that and be an example as you're growing. So, um, I mean, as we close here, I mean, do you, anything else you know, that you would like to share or add as it relates to sort of inspiring and encouraging others? Well, I guess I would just you know, mention that, you know, change can be difficult and it is uncomfortable. And so if you're really comfortable where you are, then you're probably not doing enough to um, create change in your life. And it's just the new normal to be uncomfortable and to try new things and to be in front of people, to just be in a position that I never thought that I would be in. And I hope that a lot of other people take that leap and realize that they are good enough that they have the knowledge base, that they can get the support and they can do it. And then just, just to recognize that, you know, time is the same for everybody. And it's really just what you do with your time that can make a huge difference in your life. What plans do you have for Y2K moving forward? Yeah. So for, for Y2K moving forward, you know, each year we actually update our strategic plan. And so it's ever evolving because it definitely changes based on different opportunities and, and, um, different aspects that just come up because you can't predict the future. So we just kind of take it as it comes. Um, but one thing is that I have a great employee that has told me from day one that she, that, that her part of her five and 10 year plan moved to Denver because she really wanted to um, be there near um, her best friend and to experience um, the outdoor lifestyle because she currently lives in Flagstaff and, and, you know, wanted to have that. And, so when an opportunity came up that I was able to potentially open an office in Denver, I started seriously considering it. And so we are on track now to open our second office in Denver in 2020. So that's very exciting. Um, it's completely different from opening an office here in Arizona where everyone knew me and, and there was already a, a, a reputation and a brand coming into a new market, you know, is, is different trying to figure out how to work with different clients and, uh, where the needs are. But then when we started investigating, it seems like our qualifications and our skills and, and and passions really align well with the needs that are in the Denver and Colorado area. Right. So, I mean, it started with an, a valued employee and sort of aligning their goals with the organization's goals and just seeing that, well, there's an alignment on not just the organization side, but on the type of work we do. So, I mean, that's just kind of by design, looking at alignment opportunities to, to figure out ways to make it all work. Right. Yeah, definitely. And then also just, you know, taking advantage of, um, or I guess it, it goes back to the question about retaining employees and making sure that their plans are also incorporated into the company's plans. Um, because otherwise, if you ignore what people are telling you, then eventually they're, they're, they're going to be disengaged and want to leave. Right. And, that, and how do you do annual performance reviews or do you do quarterly check-ins or is it more routine conversation with some level of formality? I mean, how, how do you accomplish having those discussions with employees? More of it is routine right now because we're small. So as we grow, that's something that I'm going to have to figure out um, is to ensure that I am able to have those conversations with people. And so we do do performance 
reviews, but a lot of these conversations just come up in initial conversations, just asking people where they want to be, what they want to do in the future, and then remembering um, is key, you know, just paying attention to small conversations, uh, and that's a bonus of having um, our Friday news and our Teams chat channel include information and stories that are outside of work is that we get to keep up with with what's happening. You know, people have aging parents they have to take care of. People have um, new puppies. They have vacations. They have relationships. Um, and I want to keep track of that because that affects their behavior and performance at work as well. Right. I mean, so it's, again, by design, it's very intentional upfront conversations to really understand a lot of drive and motivation, just, per, you know, not just professionally, but personally caring and then following through. I mean, again, these are, these are elements that more and more teams want to be able to emulate. And it's just sort of built into the DNA. Right. And- And then selfishly, there are times where I need flexibility. And so I need them to understand that I'm not going to be at work because I'm at my kid's baseball game. And um, so, so when we all share that information and we all recognize that, yes, there are times when we are putting time into work, but then that allows us time to put our allows us to really devote ourselves to other parts of our lives as well, then we can all kind of recognize and share that. And so I think that um, that's kind of the culture that I wanted to build was to also make sure that I had the flexibility and that I wasn't going to be falling down this hole where I'm working 80 hours a week. Um, Wanted to make sure that I can build something sustainable and long-term and not just play a short game. Right. So it's in, include in the organization, high achieving professionals, but with the flexibility and the relationship to be able to integrate life and, and win at life and win in the office. So, I mean, mm-hmm. again, a great example for owners, leaders, and leaders that really are, are trying to grow and develop their teams. Well, great. Well, I want to thank you so much for, for being on the podcast to share your story and, you know, really being, you know, an example and a role model for, for leaders in organizational development. And um, again, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. It also helps get the word out so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. So thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.